Welcome back to Lethal. Let's talk about death row inmates. This week, I'll be covering a California death row inmate. It feels so good to be back. This week, I'll be covering a California death row inmate. So I'll be covering David Joseph Carpenter. He's a serial killer and rapist that is known as a trailside killer. Before we get started, I wanted to share some great news with y'all. I've reached over a thousand plays for my podcast, so Lethal will be donating to The 100 Club. This foundation will provide aid and assistance to police officers and firefighters that were killed or critically injured in the line of duty. So every time I hit a thousand plays, I will be donating to a new foundation. I chose this foundation because I'd like to show my appreciation to the first responders. I think it's so sad to see these hardworking badass heroes lose their life risking theirs for us. So I want to be able to make a difference and this is the way I would like to start. The foundation also provides funding to replace all service animals that were killed or critically injured in the line of duty for police and fire departments. This foundation financially supports the dependents of heroes killed in the line of duty by paying off home, vehicle, and credit card debt, and it also assists with providing a college education for their children, which I think is so important. If you have a foundation that you'd like to see Lethal donate to next time, feel free to shoot me an email at lethal.tcpodcast at gmail.com or feel free to shoot me a message on Insta at lethal underscore podcast. I want to thank you all for listening. I couldn't do this without y'all, so thank you so much for your support. Also, I wanted to give y'all an update about me writing to death row inmates. I sent out 12 more letters today, including a letter to the Golden State Killer. I also wrote back to Melissa Lucio. If you're new, I've been writing back and forth with Melissa Lucio. She's a Texas death row inmate. I also watched her documentary on Amazon Prime. It's called The State of Texas versus Melissa. And I would definitely recommend it. There was a lot of information that was left out of her trial and definitely was not on her case file. So if you want more information, go check it out. Let me know what you think. But whenever I get new letters from death or inmates, I will definitely keep you updated, especially on my Instagram. So once again, I have a glass of wine and I'm ready to jump into the case. This week, I'll be covering inmate number C96500. David Joseph Carpenter. David was born May 6, 1930 in San Francisco. He's currently 90 years old, serving at San Quentin State Prison. David had a hard time growing up. He was physically abused. I'm not sure if it was by both of his parents or just one. But his father was an alcoholic and his mother was very demeaning and controlling when she spoke to him. She was mentally abusive towards him. Growing up, he had a stutter. This could have been caused by stress. He also had an issue with wetting the bed. Wetting the bed at this age could mean that David was under a lot of stress and anxiety at a young age. Growing up, David's mother would make him do activities that he didn't want to do, such as taking ballet. He found this to be very embarrassing and demeaning. David, he started to show some serious signs at a young age. He was cruel and abusive towards animals, which we know is a huge sign seen early in serial killers. At a young age, David sexually assaulted two of his cousins violently. He was then sent to a facility for sex offenses as a child. 
But I've said this before and I'll say it again. A child has to be exposed to this for a child to commit this at such a young age. So it makes me wonder if David was sexually abused by maybe someone in his family or maybe a peer. At the age of 30, David saw a woman on his drive home. This woman looked very familiar to him because this woman worked with his father. So he pulled over and asked if she needed a ride. And she said, yeah, sure. Can you take me to the military base down the street? So she got in. She thought she could trust him, but little did she know. After driving for a bit, he pulled over, pulled her out of the car, and attempted to rape her and proceeded to beat her with a hammer. A military police officer saw this taking place, so he shot David. This only injured him. He then served at a federal prison, but once he was released, he kidnapped another woman. He took her to the foothills and let her go, but he was caught and sent back to prison. He spent a total of 17 years in prison. He was released at 49 years old and was living in San Francisco at a halfway house. August 1979, Etta Kane went to Mount Tamalpais State Park. She enjoyed being outdoors, especially hiking on this trail. Originally, a friend was supposed to go with her, but she ended up going by herself. Okay, let's stop real quick. You know what's coming. This is a life rule you should know. Don't ever go hiking by yourself. You'll be in a secluded area by yourself, and this isn't a good idea. But I'm also a scaredy cat, but just don't do it. Okay, I won't go on too long about this, so let's get back to the story. When Etta didn't come home, her husband became very worried. He knew she was going hiking, and it wasn't like her not to come home. He contacted the police, and the police started looking around in the area, and they discovered her car. Police started to search the area that they knew she would have hiked. Her body was found face down with a gunshot wound to her head. She was found naked with only a sock on her body. Investigators suspected a rape or sexual assault must have occurred. March 1980, Barbara Schwartz went for a hike on the trails of Mount Tamalpais. She would go hiking with her dog so she wasn't by herself, especially during the time that so many people went missing. A witness saw a struggle happening between a man and a woman on the trail, and the witness yelled out for the man to stop. And the witness then turned and ran for help. When police came out to the scene, they found a gruesome discovery. Barbara was stabbed to death. And a detail that I saw that was so heartbreaking is that her dog was right next to her body. As the police started to approach her, the dog started to bark, wanting to protect his owner. At the scene, a pair of bifocal glasses were found. The glasses was a very important clue because they weren't just any pair of glasses. They were prison-issued glasses. So investigators thought they'd be able to use this to find the attacker. They looked into parolees, sex offenders, or parolees that had a history that matched this attack. Fortunately for investigators, a man walked into an optometrist wanting to get a pair of bifocals since he misplaced his. But this wasn't just any man. He was a convict. And this is David Joseph Carpenter. Police interviewed him and stated that he was an odd individual, he had a stutter, and he had a normal build. He didn't have a build of a man that you would think would attack people on a trail. On October 11, 1980, a couple was fatally shot on a hiking trail in Point Reyes, California. The two hikers were Cynthia Moreland and Richard Stowers. Cynthia was 18 years old and Rick was part of the National Guard. They went for a hike and the families became worried because they have not heard from the two for days. 
The Coast Guard suspected that Rick was AWOL, so these two were originally treated as a missing persons report. Unfortunately, they were shot in the head at the Point Reyes National Seashore. Their bodies weren't discovered until November 28, 1980, so weeks later. Hikers came forward saying they heard gunshots in the area around 1 to 2 p.m. on October 11th. October 13, 1980, Ann Alderson was hiking on a trail on Mount Templius. She was shot in the head and raped. She was found two days later. She had her clothes on, but the pathologist found sperm in her vagina, which indicated that she could have been raped. November 28, 1980, Diane O'Connell went hiking with two friends. They were hiking at the Skyline Trail. As they were hiking down the trail, when they reached the bottom, the two friends were at the bottom waiting for Diane, but she never came. Honestly, if I'm hiking with my friends, I better see all of them and they better see me. But I'm such a scaredy cat, I wouldn't let my friends leave me by myself. The two friends reported to the rangers that they couldn't find their friend, Diane. As rangers were searching, they found her body. But at this same time, they also found three other bodies. They were found November 28, 1980. This is when they found Rick and Cynthia, the couple I just talked about. They also found Diane on the same day, and they found Shayna May. Shayna was a 23-year-old woman. Diane and Shayna were raped and shot, and their bodies were in close proximity to each other. Hikers in the area reported that they heard gunshots around 3.10 in the afternoon. They were found the next day naked and their bodies were posed by the killer. All the bodies so far have been posed and this showed that this was the same killer so police knew they had a serial killer on their hands. Just a couple yards away from the victims, Cynthia and Richard were also found. A pair of underwear was found in Diane's mouth. A second pair of bloody panties was found by her body. When her body was examined, there was no indication of rape or sexual assault because no sperm was found on her body. But there was evidence that indicated that she was strangled while she was still alive. It was suspected that a cord or wire was used to strangle her. The second victim, Shauna, was suspected to be raped. Sperm was found in her vagina and her rectum. Police were able to link all these killings because they had matching bullets. March 29th, 1981, Ellen Hansen and Steve Hartley were on their spring break hiking in the Santa Cruz Mountains. As they were walking, they were approached by a man holding a gun. The gunman said he wanted to rape Ellen, so the gunman told Steve to get off the trail. Ellen then said he's going to kill us anyway, so the gunman was caught off guard that she was even coming at him. He then proceeded to shoot Ellen in the head and Steve in the neck. Ellen died from the gunshot wound and Steve survived. There were witnesses around at the observational deck that were able to describe the gunman. Witnesses were able to come forward and describe the gunman. They described him as being clean-shaven, in his 50s, and was wearing glasses and a ball cap. He was wearing white shoes and stripes. And something that's so crazy to me is a little girl in the area, she was about 10 years old, saw this man. He was frantically going to his car and this caught her attention. She noticed that he was getting in a red car and drove off. So she later drew a picture of the car he got into and um, they ended up, the parents gave it to the police. So the best witness out of all this was Steve. When he woke up, he worked with a sketch artist and police were able to bring him in for a lineup and he was able to pick out David in the lineup as a perpetrator. A car lineup was also put together and witnesses were able to pick out his red car as well. 
David, at the age of 50, seemed like he was getting his life together, well, by his parole officer. He was on parole, and he was planning on living with his parents in San Francisco, but he had an issue getting a job since he had a background of being a sexual offender. But he was also seen as a model parolee, so he was never suspected for these murders. May 1981, another woman disappeared. Her name was Heather Skaggs. She was 20 years old. Police first interviewed her boyfriend when she went missing, and he let police know that Heather was going to go look at a car with one of her employees. The employee she was going to go look at the car with was David Carpenter. This was red flags for investigators. The boyfriend then went on to say that David told Heather that he didn't want her to tell anyone who she was going with and just to keep it a secret. Investigators spoke with their employee and asked what cars David Carpenter had driven to work. And they notified investigators that he had driven two cars, a blue station wagon and a little red car, the same looking car that little girl drew. Investigators were able to find David and they interviewed him. Police said when they asked him about Heather, it was hard for him to even form a sentence because his stutter was so bad. Police asked him what cars he drove and he forgot to mention that he owned a small red car. So this was alarming to police. Police then started to ask him about his childhood and David's attitude completely changed. He started off by saying his mother completely humiliated him growing up. In my opinion, he could have killed women in such a violent way because he had a resentment towards women since the woman that raised him, you know, belittled him. So this is pretty crazy. When he was leaving the questioning interview, he said, I quote, I pray to God no one finds her body and finds that she has been raped, end quote. He was talking about Heather Skaggs. Police obviously put him under surveillance after this. Police soon after arrested David. When they arrested him, they searched his car and they found books about local hiking trails and maps of the trails. A couple days after he was arrested, hikers came across a dead body on their hike. This was Heather Skaggs' body. Heather was found with a gunshot wound. These bullets matched with the other murders and his sperm was also found on her body. Investigators also started to realize that he had two sides. When he attacked victims, he had no stutter, he was confident, and he drove the red car. But when he was living his normal life, he had a bad stutter, he had no confidence, and he drove the other car he owned. Investigators suspect his childhood caused him to snap because a rapist feels like they're in control and dominant, and David grew up with no confidence with his mother constantly belittling him. During the trial, the DA had over 60 witnesses to call up to the stand. David was convicted and sentenced to the death penalty to die in the gas chamber in California. He is serving at the San Quentin State Prison. David was actually suspected for the Zodiac murder, but was later cleared. So what do you think? Will you go hiking anytime soon or just take a pass and stay home? I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Go follow my Insta, lethal underscore podcast, and feel free to shoot me an email at lethal.tcpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for a new case and a new inmate. I'll be covering a new death row inmate in a new state. All the information used in my podcast came from the following sources. Born to Kill, 
David Joseph Carpenter and Murderpedia. Thanks so much. Can't wait to see you next week. Thank you.